Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Does the typical American family today enjoy better living standards compared to 1985? We may have bigger TVs in our living rooms and smartphones in our pockets, but a recent report from a Washington, D.C. think tank, the American Compass, suggests the cost of a thriving middle-class lifestyle has risen over the past generation. To discuss what that report gets right and where it falls short, I'm joined today by Jeremy Horpedal. Jeremy is an associate professor of economics at the University of Central Arkansas. He's also the co-author, along with AEI Scott Winship, of the recent report, The Cost of Thriving Has Fallen, Correcting and Rejecting the American Compass Cost of Thriving Index. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Glad to be here. Before we dig into the uh, data, I want to take a moment to talk about perception, public perception about how America's been doing over recent decades. And there was a recent uh, Pew Research Center survey, and 58% of Americans say the American public is worse off than it was 50 years ago. What do you think drives that, that perception? Do you think that perception is driven by actual economic conditions on the ground or or something else? Psychology, I don't know. No, that's that's a great question. I, I've thought about that myself a lot. And in kind of the wake of of our report that's come out, a lot of people have speculated as to why, you know, if we're right on the numbers, why do so many people feel this way? Um, I think I think part of it is that there's something to what we'll talk about with this cost of thriving index that, uh, you know, people might feel that even though we have lots of new and better technologies and things we're buying, that in some ways it might feel like to buy all the things that you wouldn't have had to buy 40 years ago, it might be a challenge. I th do think, though, some of it is driven by misconceptions about the data right now. The average American isn't following all this data too closely, but I think most people have seen, you know, a statistic that over some 40 or 50 year time period, uh, if you adjust for the CPI, it looks like a median wages are flat or roughly flat, right? So I think people have seen kind of data like that. And then when they connect that to how they might feel about purchasing things, uh, they might say, well, yeah, that, that lines up with how I feel. So we must be worse off or, or no better off. Um, I think there are lots of interesting psychological things we could delve into. That's kind of outside my area of expertise. But I think that there is, you know, people do generally have kind of this, what we call pessimistic bias. I think that's something that psychologists have identified. Economists have picked up on that. Uh, Brian Kaplan in his book uses that as one of the biases that might drive people's political decision-making. Um, so I think that that exists. Um, but I, but I, I do believe that some of it's just people are are mis, uh, you know, misconstruing the data. And so what we're trying to do in this paper is say, here's what we think is the best data to represent what a typical family looks like. I, I, I'm not sure how the uh, that poll I mentioned breaks it down, but I wonder if, if people are thinking about the aggregate different than their own specific situation. I just have a hard time believing that someone, and I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you, maybe a lot of bit older than you, that someone like myself who, who grew up with, you know, no air conditioning and a much smaller house and a TV that got, you know, three channels and some pretty bland dinners uh, th thinks that somehow they're worse off. So a lot of people think, well, yeah, maybe I'm better off, but 
you know, everyone, but overall, we're not really better off. And, you know, politicians have great statistics that tell us that. Yeah, I think you see this in a lot of polls um, where you ask people about their own situation versus the national situation, whether it's on, you know, economic striving, whether it's on uh, crime, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about public schools, people seem to think uh, that that they're generally doing okay, not 100% of people, but that somehow the national situation is, is deteriorating. Um, so I think there is some of that. And when you kind of ask people a more generic question, they're going to lean on what they think the national situation looks like. But yeah, I think, you know, I may not be quite as old as you, as you but, you know, I grew up in the 80s. And, you know, I remember my parents tell me that we installed air conditioning like the summer you were born because it was so hot in our house in the summers that we thought we now have a child, we got to have air conditioning and they and they paid for it. Right. But before that, they, they didn't have it. They didn't grow up with air conditioning. But, you know, it's a it's a it's a new luxury that is now affordable to middle class families and people are willing to pay for it. Um, so I think that kind of fits into with what we're doing in the data. So you, uh, along with AI Scott Winship, you took a look at something called the Cost of Thriving Index, which was developed by a guy named Oren Cass at a think tank called American Compass. And the goal was to compare the ease of affording a middle-class lifestyle now versus, you mentioned, 1980s, back in the 1980s. The way he went about it is he looked at the cost of five goods and services available on the income, I think, of a typical male earner. And he can, and the way he sort of uh, illustrated how things have gotten tougher is that it used used to used to take forty weeks to pay for those uh, goods and services back in eighty five. Now it's up to sixty two, which shows the cost of thriving has gotten higher uh, for people. The goods were uh, transportation, food, housing, healthcare, and education. Five important goods. Uh, first of all, what do you think just about like approaching this uh, this question of are we better off than we were 50 years ago by looking at five key goods? Uh, as, you, as you know, and we'll talk about our paper is a critique of this index, but let me try to make the case for it, right? So what, what Warren is trying to do in this report is to, first of all, uh, reject what is normally done with inflation adjustments, which is that there's been quality improvements. So he says, well, if the if the goods you're buying, and he likes the example of say a Dodge Caravan, uh, you know, if that thing gets better features, right, better safety features, you know, uh, a V6 instead of a, a four cylinder engine, which which did happen with minivans, he says, you know, what happens with a standard inflation adjustment is they basically say they don't count those as cost increases, right? They say that the vehicle is now X thousand dollars better, so we're going to say it costs the same amount. But what Warren is saying in this index is that well. That's that's nice that it has those features, but someone still has to buy it, right? And you can't now buy, you know, the minivan without airbags or whatever, right? Like it's just not available. So that so that quality adjustment uh, kind of is, is useful in one sense, but he wants to present this other perspective to say that well, if you can't actually buy it, then it's not then those features aren't worth anything to you, right? So uh, that's what he's trying to do, and he's also using a, as you mentioned, a a one you know male earner household essentially. Uh, using the median earnings for a male 25 years or older, right? And another part of that is to say that, well, maybe families can afford the minivan today, but that's because they're going to have more likely have two incomes, right? So that uh, that's no longer, he's saying, perhaps that's no longer a choice. If you want to buy these five things, um, then you're going to have to have to have two earners, right? Because in the math, as you mentioned, 62 weeks for one earner, that is not mathematically possible to do that in a year, right? There are not 62 weeks in a year. Uh, whereas 
40 weeks, whether you think that's too many or, or not enough in, in 1985, at least there are 40 weeks in the year. Uh, and then you would have, you know, 12 weeks of your earnings to buy the other perhaps luxuries of life if these are the necessities. Um, so that's 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 his approach. And that's the methodology. OK, that's the methodology. And, you know, you know, so we think that that's uh, we we critique it in two ways and we can get to it in a moment. But one is we just say, OK, let's let's take his framework as given as a good framework and just see if his numbers are right. And we find a number of ways in which we think the numbers are just wrong. Uh, but then we try to say, well, maybe that's actually not the right perspective. And so the second part of the paper presents what we think is a better way uh, to look at uh, whether even a family with one earner is thriving or not. Um, and so that that's kind of the, the second critique. So the paper, the subtitle is something like correcting and rejecting. The correcting part is say, let's stick with the framework and see if the numbers are right. And then the rejecting is to say, we don't actually think it's, it's the right framework. Uh, we think that, you know, ours and a more traditional inflation adjusted framework is better, uh, but that's, that's what we try to do. Right. Well, let's let, we'll we'll start. You you've uh, you've laid out a wonderful roadmap for us here. Well, let's start with the the correction, the the correction, which is what gives them the forty week versus uh, sixty two week uh, conclusion. What what would you what would you tweak? Uh, you know, assuming that is the approach you wanted to take, looking at those five goods and services. Yeah. So so you mentioned the five goods, but he actually gets very specific on them. Right. So the transportation one is, you know, the cost of owning and operating a car. Right. Uh, the education component is the cost of paying for uh, a, a tuition at a, at a public university. Uh, the healthcare one is the cost of, of buying a health insurance you know, package for your family. Right. So those are the things he uses to get, you know, uh, concretely at those five areas. Uh, we actually have corrections to to basically all those areas, but one of the big ones is on healthcare. So this is one area where we say there's a major error in what he's doing, uh, in that he, uh, in both the 1985 and the 2022 numbers, he says we need to count the full cost to buy a uh, health insurance package for a family of four, right, or for or a family plan, right, which is something a little over twenty thousand um, dollars. But that's not how the median family buys their health insurance, right? The median family is going to get it through their employer, in which case there'll be a part that they pay and a part the employer pays, right? Uh, he is subtracting all of that, uh, in which case you are greatly overstating the cost of this to a typical family. Uh, now, are there some families that in some cases might be paying all of that with their wages? Uh, yes, there probably are, but they're, they're very small. And most of those families are going to qualify for either ACA subsidies, or they might qualify for some other uh, public assistance. And, you know, we're not saying those are good or bad. We're just saying we have to take those as given, right? What are people actually paying? And to say that, you know, someone with their you know market wages they're being paid is then going to have to turn around and pay $20,000 in health insurance costs. This is just not the case. This is not, this is not reality, right? The reality is for most families, they're going to be uh, paying the you know, roughly half of it or so, you know, depending on your employer share, but you're going to pay about half that. So we are saying he's kind of, in a sense, doubling the cost of that. And that's one of the major costs, as most families know, that's one of the big things your employer takes out of your paycheck. Uh, that's also one of the things that has increased the most since 1985. So by correcting that healthcare component, uh, we find that, that that alone is is causing a big part of the increase. Uh, we make other changes to other parts. We can go back to the healthcare in a moment if we want, but just I'll mention one more. It is uh, the cost of uh, uh, college education. You know, what he does again is he looks at what's the what's the price you have to pay to pay for 
uh, a year of four-year public college, right? And he kind of amortizes that over, you know, you're saving for it over a number of years, right? Uh, the major error that we think uh, he's overlooking is the fact that uh, if if you have kids that are college age, now you know that, uh, you know, discounting uh, of various sorts, merit uh, and financial aid of various sorts is a huge part of the of the component of what it costs to pay for college. And that if you just use the list price or the sticker price, today that vastly overstates what someone pays. Uh, in fact, there are calculations, which we then use that, that many have done, which say, well, what's what's actually the average price people pay to, to go to the school after you account for all those discounts? Now, not accounting for student loans, right? But accounting for the discounts that the institution or from Pell Grants or anything else you get. Now, those existed in 1985, but they were a much smaller part of the of the of the package. Uh, the dis the discounting of various sorts uh, is much more prevalent today. And that again, we're thinking, what's the reality for you know a family earning the median income uh, or having the male one earner male median income? They're going to qualify for a variety of types of aid they're going to get, and so we need to take that into account. So yes, the cost of college education has gone up. I mean, this is the business I'm in, right? I, I teach at a university. I know it's gone up. Um, but we also know, uh, both for me being, you know, on this side of it now, uh, selling the serve, but also buying it, you know, 15 years ago as a buyer, you know, you know, if you're in this business, that discounting is a major part of it. Um, and, and that, that, that's what we call the sticker price, whereas the sticker price of a car today, maybe that is about what you pay. The sticker price for a college education is not what most people are paying at some universities, not a single person is even paying that. So it's kind of a, a it's a figment of, the, of their imagination that that price. Um, so that's that's another area where we think there's a big correction. With your corrections, remember the number he came up with was 60, 62 weeks, so more than obviously uh, a number of weeks in a single year. So using your tweaks, but you sticking with his framework, what do you think is a a a, a better number? Yeah, so just just making the corrections, um, and we make some corrections to the 1985 numbers as well. Um, and there's one more we'll talk about, which is taxes. But before you can bring in taxes, uh, it gets it down to about 31 and a half weeks in 1985, and then about 42 weeks in 2022. So just with those simple corrections, there's still an increase. So there's still something to what he's saying, uh, going from about 31 and a half to 42 weeks. But 42 weeks is still possible, right? So just based on what we think are his numbers being incorrect, it's gone down from 62 to 42 weeks. So certainly feasible, even if we might think it's a little worse. But those are that's our first cut of saying at a bare minimum, you must these corrections must be made. If I accepted that framework, my my response, and even and if I also accepted your corrections, my response would be okay, maybe it was overstated, but directionally, you know, it's correct. Things have gotten tougher. So now we'll go to uh, to phase two, why you think that this is a a substandard, a faulty, a less preferable way of of looking at cost of living. So what so what is the flaw with the framework and what is preferable? Yeah, so before we get to uh, correction two, there's a correction 1B, which is that he does not account for changes in federal taxes, which as anyone earning wages knows, this is another major thing that comes out of your paycheck is the federal taxes you pay. The We've, of course, since 1985, there have been a number of tax reforms, including one right after that in 86. Um, but there have been a number of changes which affect a family earning, you know, that median male salary, uh, what they would pay. And a family actually pays dramatically less in federal income taxes today. So there's kind of a, a 1B correction that we do. And, and that even shrinks the gap even more to where it's only a five-week increase if you compare 1985 to 2022, 
if you include a sixth thing people have to pay for in addition to his five, which would be taxes, that would be the sixth that thing. That seems like a weird thing to leave out. I mean, I know that's not like a scholarly economist phrase, but just, to me, it seems weird. Yeah, especially to me, because I mean, a lot of my research is on taxes. So I immediately thought, well, this got to include this. I mean, in, in our conversation that that Scott and he had at, a, at AEI recently, this is one thing where he said, oh, actually, that was a, a big oversight. And I will be, we're, he said, we're right now, I think he said, working on incorporating that. So, you know, once we include that correction for uh taxes, we then find that the gap shrinks even more, uh, whereas it would have taken 40 weeks to buy the now these six things if you're buying taxes, 40 weeks in 1985, and then just 45 weeks in 2022. So much narrower gap, still an increase, though, right, we might say. Um, so then we'll get to uh, the correction number two, which is our preferred way still working in, within this framework, uh, but making some incorporation, not not doing a full inflation adjustment, but some inclusion of uh, some quality adjustments. So not a full CPI adjustment, but we think are some reasonable things that you would need to do. Again, thinking about that Dodge Caravan, right, as a car. Uh, I mean, okay, the fact that it has heated seats, okay, maybe that's, you know, kind of a luxury, you know, but the fact that it has better airbags, you know, the fact that it has anti-lock brakes, right? Uh, some of these, you know, uh, things you do have to include. So we do try to make some, what we think are minimum quality adjustments, right? If the size of houses are bigger, I mean, that's something that, okay, maybe people might prefer a smaller house, uh, but that's definitely a quality improvement. It's not some, you know, you know, again, with the minivan, he says, well, it's got heated seats, like you don't really need those. But, um, you know, if the house is bigger, you have to account for that. You just, you just cannot. So we think you got to make some of these quality adjustments uh, staying within that framework. And no, no one said, no one goes to the doctor and says, can I, Listen, can I have medicines that were only in use like before 1985? I don't want any of the new medicines. I want the old medicines. And, I, and I'm willing to pay whatever the price was in 85, right? If something was still, you know, under patent in 1985, I'll pay that. Like, I only want the stuff and I want to pay those right, I want the original non-generic price. We say you have to make some quality adjustments. It, it doesn't make sense not to. Now, um, so we, we do for some of the components. Um, and what we do then is we kind of adjust up some of the 1985 numbers. Uh, particularly uh, for food, uh, for healthcare, for food and healthcare are actually the big ones that we make in in this second kind of change, um, adjusting some of those up. Uh, and, and when we do that, and include taxes uh, in our what we call our preferred version of Kotai, Koti, or whatever pronounce this. So you try you're trying to stick with his basic thesis, the basic framework, but uh, you're first you want to improve it you know, with, you know, some better numbers, but now you're just, but now you're taking a sort of uh, kind of a more substantive correction, try, especially regarding like taking, using quality adjustments. Uh, that That's like the big addition to the framework. Uh, so, you know, and we've, we've thrown out a lot of numbers now, so you read the paper and look at the table, but, but kind of the, the key here is, you know, once we do those, what we think are those corrections, we include the tax calculation again. In that scenario, we find that actually, the, the the cost of thriving has gone down uh, slightly from taking about 46 or 46 and a half weeks in 1985 to buy this package of stuff uh, down to about 45 weeks. Um, so they're not a big decrease, but we do find that for, uh, you know, using his preferred method and his preferred type of earner, which is a uh, the median male 25 and older working full time, right? So he's narrowly focusing on that. Uh, there we do find that 
uh, it actually is slightly easier to thrive under this framework once we think once we make all the all the changes within this framework that we think we you need to do and is reasonable to do. But that so so this is okay. So you this is sort of your preferred version of this framework. Yes. But fundamentally, do you buy this framework, right? Or 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 do you think it's better to you know, uh, use what the BLS uses, uh, uses consumer price index or uh, the, you know, or um, or the Fed's uh, favored inflation index, PCE index. Do, do, I mean, do you think economists are going to abandon that and flock to this because this is a better way of looking at it? Yeah, I mean, we do prefer that framework and we try to make the case as to why we prefer that in the paper. Um, uh, you know, I think that, you know, Economists are probably not going to flock to what he's doing, but I think you know he wants to have this be a part of the conversation, right? For for a number of reasons, uh, one being that you know he would prefer there was say more support for people that choose to have one earner um, and, and have the other spouse stay home and, and take care of the kids. That there would be you know support in the tax code kind of to do that, right? Um, uh, and other things like that. But but we do think that you know we're we want to have a better understanding of all this, but there's kind of one additional correction we do without even getting to conventional inflation adjustments is that we just broaden the set of workers beyond what he included to include women and to include full-time workers between 16 and 25, right? So he's using 25 and older men, but if we include both women and again, not dual income households, just, just the median female income, and we include those that are still full-time but that are you know under the age of 25, um, doing that, we find an even bigger increase. So here we stop talking about the weeks of buying it, but doing all that, we say there's actually a 15% increase in, in someone's real income, you know, kind of even within this framework, but just broadening it beyond that traditional you know, male over 25. Um, so, so we do that as well. Uh, in the, at the end of the day though, we think that you do have to account for quality adjustments as is done by the PCE, index, uh, which I think is probably the best one, but even in the CPI, right, if we use that, uh, we do think that, that that is the right way to do it and that economists have not been, you know, all wet all these years by just doing it that way. Um, and, and in the paper, we try to strongly make the case as to why that is. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, I mean, I've learned a lot by, by you know, thinking about his framework. Um, I actually am writing up a blog post on Dodge Caravans coming out soon, <laughs> looking at how those have changed over time. And uh, it actually is, you know, even, even, you know, taking the quality improvements into account, but not adjusting for them, it actually is easier to buy one now than in 1996, uh, which was kind of the peak of minivan mania uh, when the Dodge Caravan was the car of the year, first time a minivan was. It actually is cheaper today, even from the median male, his preferred income measure. But it has got me thinking about that, those sorts of things uh, a lot more. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately we do settle on at the end of the paper that we think the way economists have, have been doing it is basically correct. Uh, and so we think that, that is the right way to think about it. Is it, is it, uh, it would, would it be fair to say that even that using um, the consumer price index or the personal consumption expenditure index, PCE, that those underestimate inflation that perhaps you know that perhaps they're not they're not uh you know the adjustments aren't enough they're not aggressive enough and perhaps people are actually even doing better than what the current what the, even some of the optimists say yeah i mean especially over very long time frames i think economists will always realize this but 
I'll always say this, but you know, over a hundred year time frame, I think the, you know, the CPI inflation adjustment dramatically understates how much growth there has been. So just for example, you know, using conventional inflation adjustments and things like that, uh, the 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 average person in China today has roughly the same GDP per capita as the average American a hundred years ago. Um, but those clearly aren't the same. Like clearly the person in China is in many ways better off than, than an American a hundred years ago. Right. But what that means is we've understated how much growth we've had in the U.S. Right. So I think over long periods of time, they actually do understate growth. Um, and I think that's widely recognized, though. It's just hard to incorporate you know, new new technologies, new services into a price index. Uh, and, and economists have clever ways of trying to do it. But I think we know that uh, the, these measures do kind of overstate. But even not on a 100 year time frame, even on a 20 or 40 year time frame, uh, you know, the CPI probably overstates inflation by about 1% a year. That adds up. That, that does add up a lot over 20 to 40 years. Um, so uh, we do think that, you know, we think at a minimum you should use these inflation adjustments. It probably probably understated. He, you know, Oren's index suggests the opposite, that these things are, you know, overstating the gains. Although, in, again, in fairness to him, he would say, you know, his measure, the COTI, is not a measure of... This, the standard of living. He would say the standard of living has improved, right? Medicine's better, cars are safer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He, he would agree to that, but he would say what he's trying to say is that, yeah, but for some families, it's harder to buy that. The standard of living is higher, but for, you know, for a family with one earner at the median, it's harder to buy that. Um, so we, we think it's a, we obviously, we think it's a useful thing to engage because we spend a lot of time thinking about it and working through the numbers. We don't think it's something that should just be dismissed. And and as we start out this conversation talking about, a lot of people do kind of feel that way and express it in surveys or just in casual conversation. Uh, so we, we think it is worth addressing, uh, but we are, I think, clearly much more optimistic than either Orrin Cass or the general public about how well uh, a typical family is doing. Jeremy, uh, mission accomplished. You walked us through, I think, some uh, difficult concepts and data. Uh, great job. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Jim. Mm -hmm.